Living the Principles. This podcast is hosted by Latricia Smith and Phyllis G. Williams. Living the Principles seeks to expand mindsets, express beliefs, and edify excellence in hopes of building a stronger Black community. Welcome to Living the Principles. Welcome. I am Latricia, and with me today is my co-host, Phyllis. Hey, Phyllis. Hey, Latricia. Hello out there, Difference Makers. Today, we have a special guest, Dahlia Kinsey. Dahlia Kinsey is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and school nutrition specialist on a mission to make nutrition and wellness simple and fun. She makes health accessible to people who hate exercising and dieting by encouraging body respect and joyful movement. Welcome, Dahlia. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm glad to be here. We're so glad to have you. And I kind of snickered when Phyllis was reading your bio because I'm that girl who hates exercise. (laughs) My husband, he's always trying to get me to go to the gym with him. And I'm like, dude. I don't like the gym. I need <laughs> something else to do. So that really that resonates me. with you. Well, I mean, it's all about finding things that you enjoy. I just think life is too short to fill it with shoulds. It, mm. It's more about opportunities and what do you want to be doing with your time? Even if someone tells you, I'm sure your husband encourages you to go to the gym because he's concerned about your health and he wants good things for you and for you basically to live your best life. But we're not helping our loved ones when we put more obligations on them. It's better, in my opinion, to just express your concern and say, this is something you could do. But share with your loved one what your concern is and then let them decide what they want to do. And they Mm. may find a better solution that's sustainable. They may find a form of movement that they love that's so fun that they don't need motivation to do it. They do it for the joy of doing it. And that's a sustainable behavior. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I totally agree with that. I think people want you to do what they do. I guess that's kind of how most of us are. Some of us are more aware of it than others, but we pretty much agree with ourselves. We surround ourselves with people who agree with us. We think we know best about most things, even if we don't phrase it that way. I mean, most people believe that the way they're living their life is the best way to do it, but everybody is here to walk their own path and everybody has their own way and we can't impose our way on other people, even in areas where your way may be better. Mm. Forcing someone or putting it out there as an obligation really never encourages anyone to change. I mean, if that worked, we would all be thin by now and a lot of things would be different. That does not work. (laughs) Well, Trisha has an advantage. She's naturally thin. Oh, and then that's one thing, too. I think we should really take notes from our friends that have always maintained a consistent weight. Like, what do they do? What do you do? Like, do you fixate over food the way you see other people or what's your relationship with food like? Latricia's relationship. Are you asking or are you just? (laughs) Oh, 
rhetorically. <laughs> Since you're our example, naturally thin person, do you really worry about what you're having for dinner when you wake up in the morning? No. Phyllis is saying that I'm, I wouldn't consider myself to be naturally thin. I don't even consider myself as being thin, but I love food and I love to eat. And people are just amazed at the amount of food I put away considering that I'm small, but I'm also only five feet tall. So at, at five feet tall, I can't stand to have too much weight on. That, that's true. Like your own body type does make a difference as far as how cognizant you have to be about how you're eating. But I've found that it's very rare that if you let your body lead the way, things won't work out for you. If you're really in tune with what you like, if you really and genuinely love food, you're going to eat it slowly, you're going to savor it, mm. and if you don't want something, you'll spit it out. People who say they're struggling with their weight, but they say, I just love food too much. Nine times out of ten, if you watch that person eat, they never taste their food. Mm. They two, one, two, three, swallow. You didn't taste it. You don't love the food. Maybe you're getting something from the food that you need. Maybe it's a distraction for you. Maybe it's a comfort. Food fills a lot of desires. But if you're really eating for hunger, you're not struggling with your weight. And Latricia is a very slow eater. <laughs> and that is an excellent so, so you gave a great description. She really is a lover of food because it's like, okay, I'm done. And I like that you said you got to find what you like to do. I recently started boxing in February, and I tried other things like Zumba or body pump, but this was the avenue that seemed to keep my interest. How would you encourage someone to find their interest in exercise? Is there a list of exercises they can try? Because mine was more like shopping around and I just happened to stumble across it. Oh, and the gym is Bird Gym in Spring Lake, North Carolina. Okay. I think that would be a really good resource. I have not an expansive one. I, thinking about that, started using the hashtag FunFitness on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And there definitely needs to be more, but because Zumba is my jam and any kind of dance aerobics and African traditional dance classes capture my attention so much, I rarely go out and try new things. Mm. I I'm going to continue using that hashtag and encourage other people to use it, too, when they find something they really like, because maybe someone will see the post and it will resonate with them. For me, I really love the African dancing, too, because it feels like two hours that I can dedicate to really celebrating my heritage. And mm. in, in that setting, being black only has positive connotations. And, you know, that isn't the case everywhere we go. So it's a nice time to. Just feel at home. And it's not like everyone in the class is of African descent, but mm -hmm. everyone in the class is there to celebrate African ancestry. Mm. And they have live drummers. Like, you oh, can't nice. argue with that. So you can't. <laughs> That's something people should check out. Maybe it's not for everybody. I'm not saying I did a good job or I look like I know what's going on when I'm in that class, but I do enjoy it. <laughs> And I've tried that before in Fayetteville, North Carolina. 
I got into it towards the end of it, but in general, dancing is just a stressor to me. I want to freestyle dance. I want to do it how I want to do it, and I don't want it so structured that I feel as if I'm not being myself. But I'm glad that you mentioned African dance. I think it's something people should at least try. Absolutely. And it really is invigorating, especially if you like structure. Mm -hmm. For me, I think the most important thing is knowing yourself. Mm -hmm. And the key to that is just tuning into yourself, seeing what you really want, not trying to worry about what other people want or what they think you might enjoy. Mm -hmm. Just think of an activity that you participated in, maybe when you were a child, that always made you laugh or always made you smile. And that's probably going to be related to something you might want to do as an adult. I don't like freestyle dancing because I love structure so much. Mm -hmm. I love (laughs) having the option to not comply if I don't want to because I'm a little bit of a rebel. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, I love it when somebody can tell me exactly what to do. So I feel like I'm being expressive and Mm. energetic. But when someone says it's time for freestyle in the middle of an aerobics class, I hate that. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know what to do. I can't hear what to do. And I guess that's something, too, to start off with what type of exercise you would like. Do you like the outdoors? Do you like the indoors? Do you like structure? Do you like freestyling? I believe if you don't have one, that'll be great for people to know how to get on their path of exercise. And try and find something that it does. Maybe this won't be the key, but sometimes, depending on your personality type and how you process things, you may want to find something that you think will help you feel more connected to your ancestors. So mm-hmm. to me, anytime I'm outdoors, I feel like there's more of a connection there. You're seeing mm. things they may have seen. If mm. you still live in the same part of the world that your recent ancestors anyway lived, you may be really walking where they walked. And there's something very nice about that. Chandler's Valia, how did you get into this field of nutrition? I was interested in helping people prevent chronic illness from seeing chronic illness in my own family and in the community in general. I knew that I wasn't interested in nursing. I liked science, but I didn't want to be there to help people just survive. I wanted Mm -hmm. to be able to intervene before people got ill. But the more time I spent in undergrad studying nutrition, I saw that even though the science was indicating it's more about a healthy eating pattern, Mm -hmm. not restriction, it's more about just enjoying your food and letting your body call the shots. But in practice, people are constantly pushing, I mean, other dietitians and other healthcare providers, not everybody, but it's still very popular to push the diet culture that doesn't help people. Mm -hmm. And for a while, I lost interest and I thought maybe I didn't even want to be a dietitian anymore because of that focus. And also sometimes I felt that maybe diversity wasn't as welcome as it should be in some Mm. areas of the field. But Mm -hmm. it's funny as I got into public health 
And I started interacting with more practitioners of color and more allies or just regular nice people. I started to see how you can find a way to mesh what you know to be true from how you were raised and from your own culture with science. And I find like with a lot of things like with conservationism or protecting the planet, that's Mm -hmm. something indigenous people already had down pat. That's something Mm -hmm. that Africans already had down pat. Eating when you're hungry, eating natural food, that's our real roots if we go back beyond Mm. being kidnapped and dragged over here. And when you really listen to your grandma, your great-grandma, and what she considers to be real food, that's probably what you really should be eating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can definitely relate to what you're saying. I grew up in Mississippi. I remember we had corn, okra, tomatoes. We had pigs, chickens. And I'm 35 years old, so I grew up with kind of an old school background in that sense. I also don't remember eating a lot of sweets growing up. My mom would bake a cake periodically. However, it was a privilege to get fast food or junk food. How do you think the diet has shifted and why? When I was working in public health, I did a lot of one-on-one counseling with parents. I was with the WIC program. Mm-hmm. And that, for people who don't know, that's women, infants, and children. It's a public health program. Like 50% of the babies born in this country at some point participate in that program. And it's for working class people. For the most part, it has income limits. But a lot of the people I interacted with that were my age or younger, and I'm 37, they weren't confident in the kitchen because they were from a household where both parents either had to work or only Mm. one parent was there and they had to work. So the time constraints that are on people these Mm. days, I feel like that has changed the eating habits because there's either not, initially there was no time for cooking Mm -hmm. and then it turns into you don't have the time and you don't have the confidence. Mm. And if you have to teach yourself something that other people got to learn when they were a kid, That's a big project. If you're like, oh, now I'm going to teach myself how to cook, it's going to take a lot more time than someone who already knows what they're doing. You're going to have to look for more directions. You'll need more help, more guidance. You might need tutorials. At least now you can search for these things on YouTube. But again, time seems to be the thing that people don't Mm -hmm. have anymore. Mm -hmm. I've recently started cooking more because of the ice cream thing just grossed me out. And I just said it probably started in restaurants. So I've recently started cooking more. But I've been saying that I think I've been trying to catch up for all the years. My mom didn't allow me to have McDonald's. (laughs) (laughs) I think that could be a thing, too, sometimes when you're overly restrictive. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you, um, I don't know, you pull a rubber band and you see, like, all that energy, all that strain. You don't get a mild response. Like, some kids just go off the rails when they leave the house. I know that initially happened to me. My mom was so health conscious, and so was my grandma. And one of my grandma's major values, she's like my my role model. Mm-hmm. One of her big values is being independent and being able to have some control over how your life plays out. 
But mm. there's so many things you can't control. And she accepts that. She says, why would you give up your power in the areas where you have it? So you mm-hmm. have a choice about what you eat. Mm-hmm. Do you want to end up beholden to somebody else? Someone mm. else having to take care of you. If there was anything you could have done to prevent it, things happen and not all of us are going to be able-bodied our whole lives or at any point in our lives, you know, things happen. Mm-hmm. But there's so many illnesses that we can trace back to choices that we made. So mm-hmm. do you want to have fun now or do you want to have even more fun later? But mm-hmm. she said all that and I was like, yep, that sounds great. But then it went us. Um, go to McDonald's, like you said, with any kind of sweets, <laughs> and they would only bake sweets. They never brought processed sweets into the mm-hmm. If we have to make it, we won't do it so often, and it'll taste better. But when I moved out, I lost my mind. <laughs> I or pretended to forget everything I was told. And then I really had to find a way to get back on track, and I found that one thing I felt like she left out all the time was Pleasure. Pleasure can be a guide. Like the way we're designed and all of the wisdom we have in our bodies that our ancestors gave us, you get signals. When something mm-hmm. tastes awful, if something is inedible in nature, it will usually give you a big warning when you put it in your mouth that this is not edible, this is not safe. When something tastes delicious, a lot of times that is a signal that this is okay for you to have. So I don't see why we should take pleasure out of the equation when it comes to eating. I don't think it's natural to take it out. I think you should enjoy and love your food. I'm glad that you said that. Me too. Go ahead, Latricia. (laughs) No, I was just saying I'm glad too. (laughs) I mean, you really see it when you hang out with people who have never dieted in their lives and they've never worried about their weight. You see they eat what they really, really want. They put that on their plate first. And mm. they may get bored with it in three bites. But they don't say, oh, I really want that, but I can't have it. Or that cake is looking at me, but I can't have it. Who says you can't have it? But one big thing that we have to get past, or a lot of people have to get past, is that phobia of being fat and mm. all the negative connotations that come with being fat. Mm. And you have to question Is any of that stuff even true? Uh, Or should Mm. I let how other people see my body make me feel bad or question my worth? Because your worth is innate, and it doesn't matter how fat you are. You are valuable and you are worthy, just like everybody else. But a lot of times, that's not the messaging you get. And so Mm -hmm. it's hard to stop dieting when you are so scared of gaining weight because you think you're going to lose your value, you're going to lose your access to love, and then you don't trust your body and you follow all these external cues about when to eat. And then you never have peace with food or your body. Mm. And I'm team fluffy over here. I'm 5'3 and I may weigh about 185 pounds and size 14. So I'm so glad you said that because I don't see myself just as my weight. I don't see myself just as physique either. Of course, I want to be healthy and have a healthy heart. And a healthy lifestyle, but I'm not defined by the numbers on the scale. Right. And I think that's a really healthy place to be. And I think sometimes when we focus so much on the weight, we overlook that you can pursue health at any weight Mm -hmm. and that you can have all the healthy habits that people recommend 
and your weight may never change. And that might be perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. And you sometimes can cause more damage by trying to force the weight to move. And it's Mm. more healthy to focus on loving and respecting your body and all the things that it does for you. It is doing the best it can to support the soul that lives in it. Mm. And to ridicule it as hard as it works, you know, is really unfortunate. If you celebrate and enjoy your body and move it because you love to move it, eat stuff that tastes good and makes you feel good, and just love your body, I mean, what more do you want? You know, like to me, that's the perfect situation. So many people diet thinking, when I lose weight, I'll be thin, I'll be happy, I'll love myself. No, Mm -hmm. no. What you have to do first is love and accept yourself and respect your own body and respect your cravings. Also respect your body because, you know, you got to put something green in there every now and then. But the funny thing is when you start eating what you actually want, mm-hmm. no one's going to eat Oreos for like a week straight. Nobody. <laughs> you will get sick of that and you'll be like, I want a salad. And mm-hmm. you'll start to realize you can trust your body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I started, I don't want to call it dieting. I want to call it a lifestyle change. When I started, I started eating stuff that I like. I like salmon. I like cooked spinach and roasted vegetables and beans and things along that nature. I've lost weight. I have lost a lot of weight, maybe 15, 20 pounds. Someone asked me, Phyllis, what diet are you on? I was like, uh, I'm not on one. And they were like, so what do you eat? And I started explaining the things that I eat. They said, that's called a Mediterranean diet. I said, it is? They were like, yeah. I said, oh, I didn't know it was a name for it. I just said, I'm going to eat the healthy stuff that I like. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Why can't that be what it's called? I'm eating Mm -hmm. what I like, period. I mean, that statement right there tells you the fact that people make positive comments when we lose weight, but everybody's silent when we gain. That sends us a message that, oh, it's negative to gain weight. And it's good to lose weight. Sometimes, depending on what health conditions you live with, the weight gain could also be a natural ebb and flow that you're going to go through again and again. So Mm -hmm. sometimes when we're trying to say something nice, we could accidentally be hurting our friends and our family by reinforcing that belief that fat is bad and being thin is good. Why can't our bodies just be neutral? You know, Mm -hmm. no matter what, it's the body you're in. It's doing great things for you, and you can pursue health at any size. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is so true, because as I think about my journey this year, I'm happy that I can jump rope for a minute. It's not that I can button up pants I probably couldn't before. I'm happy that my endurance is increasing. Yeah, that is huge. That's huge. How can nutrition contribute to a positive body image? You're saying be happy with the body you have, whether it's thin or fluffy. Be happy. How does nutrition contribute to that? I guess if you use eating as a way to reinforce your belief in yourself and a way to reinforce that you are capable of taking care of yourself and it's worth taking care of yourself, then it can help shift your sense of self to a more positive place. 
And I know say be happy with your body, but I think a better term might be respect it and mm-hmm. maybe be neutral. Neutral may be as good as it's going to get for some of us. Mm-hmm. So maybe you're never going to love like the way you're, you know, if you have saddlebags or something, which is such a negative term. But if you've been calling him saddlebags for 10 years, chances are you will continue to think of them that way. Maybe you can only get to the point where you feel neutral about it. You maybe don't have to love it. You know, not everybody is going to feel comfortable in the body they're in because there's a lot of different psychological things that can go on with how you relate to your body. And if you have a history of abuse, then it can get even more complicated. But can you get to a point where you can at least respect it, I guess, Mm. and respect that it has inborn wisdom that it does not make sense to ignore. Your body is full of the wisdom of the people that came before you. And you have Mm. made it this far to a large extent because of the internal wisdom that you have in the body. It just it's respect that the body can tell you when to eat and when to stop. Mm. Earlier you mentioned that you don't have to sacrifice eating. You didn't use the term sacrifice, but basically that's what it sounded like. You mentioned how in Africa people ate from the land and then when When we were brought here, there was this transition to the way we eat. We went from eating African to American, and it trickled over to what we refer to as soul food. And I noticed in the South, I'm from California, but I've been in the South for, I guess, the past 20-something years. And in the South, it's just called Southern food. And there's just an abundance of it. I didn't is, realize is that it, it was called something else other places. <laughs> That's interesting because I'm born and raised, you know, I'm from Georgia, from South Georgia. Mm. I think in certain amounts, everything is fine. It depends mm. on your health condition, how big or small that amount might be. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're already ill, Like if you already have high blood pressure, you really need to investigate learning to like vegetables without a bunch of added sodium and maybe considering the possibility that even though in the South in particular, vegetables are frequently cooked with animal products and animal meat, really looking at learning to love those vegetables on their own. They really can stand on their own. And making the biggest part of your plate, basically, fruits and vegetables. Or I should Mm -hmm. say vegetables and fruit in that order. Mm -hmm. It really depends on what you are working with. I think it's the pattern, the eating pattern, dictates your health more than what you do from meal to meal. Like, over time, what is the pattern? If you are going to like a big family event and soul food is going to be a big thing. I don't think you need to completely um, stay away from all these added fats and things that you know are not health promoting, but the body Mm. is very efficient at filtering out garbage. If you give it 
enough time to rest, mm-hmm. meaning you can't eat that at every meal. But I would say that if you really are tasting your food and taking your time, I don't really believe that you want that at every meal. And then there's also a lot of traditional Southern dishes that are good for you or that you can modify. Yeah. yeah. I, I think if you're ill, though, you really should try and work with a nutritionist or a dietitian. No, you know what? A dietitian, because if you have a diagnosed health condition, a nutritionist who doesn't have a license isn't supposed to counsel people who already are working with a diagnosed disease. So mm-hmm. a nutritionist could work with the general healthy population, but you need a dietitian or a physician if you already have a diagnosis that you're trying to work around. You need to go to someone, though, who's going to respect your existing eating preferences and not tell you you can never have rice again if you grew up on rice at dinner every single day of your life. You need someone who's going to listen to what you are currently doing and what you currently love and who will respect you enough to let you decide how you're going to get where you're trying to go instead of telling you, you can never have this again, and all of these are green light foods. I love that. I love how practitioners are coming to the point where it becomes this co-creative relationship. It's not, I'm the professional, you do what I say. It's more, okay, this is your life, here's what I have to offer, how can we mesh these two together? That's the perfect way to say it, because you are the expert in you, And yeah, the person you go to, of course, may have the science, but who's going to know better how to actually make this happen in your real life? It needs to be a partnership. You know, your practitioner should be more of a facilitator, not, like you said, not just telling you what to do, but you're co-creating. I have worked with a nutritionist before. It was a non-black nutritionist. She said something that I felt was very stereotypical. And we briefly touched on being co-creative. I was asking her, is it okay for me to put honey on my sweet potato? Her response was, you don't have to put anything on it. If you want some flavor, maybe try cinnamon. Don't eat it as a a sweet potato pie, as um, candied yams. And all this other stuff, which was so funny to me at the time, because I was like, well, who's cooking that? Because <laughs> I know I'm not cooking sweet potato pie and candy yams. And <laughs> she, she just listed off every way she thought black people eat sweet potatoes. Yes. <laughs> and I was oh, like, I goodness. just eat, I just bake the yam. And I I was putting honey in it and I was asking her, was that fine? Why is it important to have a dietitian or nutritionist that looks like you? I think, honestly, there's a lot of talk in the dietetic community about cultural competence. And there's a little bit of talk about diversity. But... There needs to be so much more change because I can Mm -hmm. say that every time I've been to one of our big meetings, a regional meeting or national meeting or training, the people training on cultural competence are consistently not minority members. And they'll be minority members in the audience 
who might pipe up and give their opinion. And sometimes it feels like (laughs) the view is that because you read a book about my culture, you Mm. now know more about it than I do, Mm. which I think is outrageous. (laughs) I don't care. I know more black people than you do, period, end of story. I've been doing this research for like 37 years. And there's so many different ethnic groups within black America. Mm. And because of the way our country evolved, we never get that personalized treatment. We are constantly being grouped together. I love the entire diaspora. Mm-hmm. So we are very diverse. Mm-hmm. And to think that you see my little brown face coming in your office and you think you know what I eat. Wrong, boo-boo. That's impossible. <laughs> you don't know where my family's from. Mm-hmm. You don't know what region of the country I was raised in. Mm-hmm. You don't know what I eat. It has to be about the patient. When they come in, you have to get your information from them. You shouldn't be assuming anything. And a lot of times when I hear them talking about cultural competence, it seems like they're trying to memorize a list of stereotypes. And they, mm. I can't, don't even get me started. It is a mess and there needs to be some improvements. People are aware that improvements need to be made, but there's still a lot of confusion about how to do it. And I think a big part of the problem is not listening to a marginalized person when they try mm-hmm. and explain to you how your attempts to care for them as hurting them. The dialogue has got to stay open. People mm-hmm. can't get all in their feelings when you try to explain how they need to make some changes. And I have seen some people who, and I know it's hard for them, who really open themselves up to, I'll, I'll say criticism from people who've been on the wrong end of this treatment. Mm-hmm. And I know it's hard to hear. It's hard to hear whenever anybody tells you you made a mistake. But some people are really, really trying to open themselves up to the conversation. I think things are going to get better. But until we give a voice to the people who are getting this poor treatment, I don't think they'll ever be improved. You have to listen to the people. I learned something the other day. An Asian-American person I was communicating with, Mm -hmm. and they explained that it sounds immediately racist to them. When someone starts complaining about the smell of fish in the office, Mm. when they start complaining that they're sick of people heating up fish, she said, what I hear is I'm sick of these Asian people heating up fish in the office. Mm -hmm. And she said, it doesn't matter if that's not what they said. She said, that's always how I hear it. And Mm -hmm. I thought, I never thought about that. And I'm glad you told me that Mm. because I it never would have occurred to me that that's culturally insensitive to keep ragging on a popular food that a group of people enjoys. Mm. That's like coming in and saying, if I smell one more fried chicken, blah, 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 blah. you know, what we immediately think that person is trying to talk about. We're like, oh, they're talking about us. They're talking about us. Even if you're a vegetarian and you're black, you would immediately be like, oh, that was targeted at me. So that's true. I just appreciated her telling me that. And, Checking me, even though mm-hmm. it wasn't pointed at me, I was just like, wow, if we don't listen to other people, mm-hmm. we're, we're not going to make progress. Okay. Okay. That's a really great point. This time has really flown by. I promise we still had other questions we wanted to ask, but 
we want to honor your time and we thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing so much of yourself with us. I really appreciate you having me on and I'm just so excited that people are creating resources like this platform. We need to hear everybody's voice and Mm -hmm. I just applaud you for putting your voices out there. Thank you. How can people get in contact with you? I mostly spend time on Instagram if I'm on social media and my handle is School Nutrition RD. And if you want to visit my website, I have a podcast launching soon. It's www.schoolnutritiondietitian.com. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Dahlia. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing this. All right, Latricia, she gave us some excellent information. There was so much that we touched on in that discussion. What is our principal challenge? Principal challenge. Live them out. You're right, Phyllis. She gave us so much good information. And one of the things she said that really stuck out with me is to respect your body. So our principal challenge for today is to respect your body and create a body gratitude list. How is your body serving you? What are you grateful for about your body? Latricia, thanks for giving us that practical way to live them out. Create a body positivity list. For our next section, open your hearts, ears, and minds as we spread the good news. Not rumors, not rubbish. Living the principles, we spread the good news. We are sticking with the theme of body positivity. Lizzo, who is a self-proclaimed America's next bop star, had an excellent performance at the BET Awards. Lizzo is a huge supporter of body positivity. She wrote, there's nothing I'd rather see than black girls falling in love with themselves on TV. She even received a nod from a fellow bad girl herself, Rihanna. Number two, speaking of Rihanna, Rihanna's Fenty line featured a model named Awun Chuo with unretouched facial scars. Awin, sorry, Awin told Days in an interview, Sometimes I just want to shout at everyone. Look at me. I'm not just a scar. I am a human, but I get it. It's a curiosity. I know I'm different. I know my facial features are different. But to me, that's beauty. Number three in body positivity is Mattel. Mattel launched a black disabled Barbie to rave reviews. This doll sports natural Afro puffs a striped shirt, and jeans while sitting in a wheelchair. A tweet of a photo of the new edition has been retweeted over 10,000 times. That's all we have for our good news for today. (laughs) Trisha, let's give them the cherry on top by giving them the soul snack. Our soul snack for today comes from an Egyptian proverb and it says a beautiful thing 
is never perfect. That's our show for today. Until next time, be aware and awaken. Thanks for listening to Living the Principles podcast. Be sure to visit us at livingtheprinciples365.com to access the show and join in on the conversations.